you have your Bibles this morning, I'm going to ask you to please turn to Isaiah chapter 1. We had a little mix-up there in the bulletin. It's chapter 1, verses 12 through 20. It's our Old Testament reading uh, this morning. And then we'll turn over to Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 20. So this is the word of the Lord. Isaiah, begin chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. And the Lord says this, when you come to appear before me, who, re- who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen, for your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, and cease to do evil. Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now Romans chapter 7 verses 14 through 20. This is our text for this morning. And Paul, kind of picking up from last week, says this, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very things that I hate. Now, If I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want to is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you so much. Thank you for this word, Lord. And I pray your spirit would be upon us, would be upon me, Lord God, to bring forth your word with power very clearly, Lord, to seek to truly understand what you are teaching us, what you are telling us, Lord, and what you expect from us, Lord God. So please be with all of us this morning. Pour out your spirit. Grant us illumination, insight, and wisdom into your word. And then the true, the very true um, desire to to live according to your word, to carry out uh, the principles therein, to live as we ought to. And I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. All right, here's Paul's struggle with sin. Now, there are a lot, just as we get started, just as an introduction, there are a lot of theologians and scholars, or many, who believe that this part of Romans that we just read this morning 
is Paul writing from a pre-conversion experience, like before he was converted, and they'll point to some of the you know uh, passages in here where, or, or phrases that Paul says, I'm sold under sin, there's no good within me, no good dwells in me. And that's they're saying, well, that kind of points to before his conversion. And there, there are arguments for that. We're not going to get into that here. This isn't the time or place for that. But if you'd like to talk about that, please come and see me. I'd love to have that conversation with you. But most scholars, most theologians really believe, as do I, that Paul's writing from that struggle with sin that we as Christians are engaged in. That's really what's what's going on here. This is a post-conversion experience. And that's abundantly evidence, evident when as we go through it. You'll absolutely see that. Um, and the overall context of the entire section really talks about this idea between the new man and the old man, the law and grace, who we were to who we are in Christ. So it fits in better with the whole context. So just that as we get started. Paul's not looking back or thinking back before he was a Christian, but this is the battle that's very familiar to all of us if you're a Christian this morning. Everything that I just read might sound a little confusing, but it's not confusing at all because this is the struggle of all of us who are truly trusting in Jesus Christ, if you've been regenerated, if you're actually converted, then you know what Paul's talking about here, don't you? You know that struggle. If you're sincerely following Christ, true believers, those who are truly in Christ, although we are fully forgiven of our sins, amen and praise God, we are justified. We talked about that for weeks and weeks. That's all true, but we are not fully sanctified. And here's that that kind of the issue behind all this is our is our sanctification, that growing in Christ, that struggle with the flesh, obeying Christ and saying no to sin and to the flesh. That's what's going on here. It's a battle for us, and it is a battle because as Christians, I hope you clearly see sin in your life. It's not like it was before where we kind of muddled through and had excuses and kind of accepted it. No, 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 no. As a Christians, we clearly see and we know sin. We know that it's contrary to the nature of God and to his holiness. We know how inconsistent it is with our new nature in Christ. It's not who we are anymore. We see and we know how deep sin is runs in the heart, how deceptive it is, and how destructive it can be, all right? We see that. The, the, war, the war has been won for our salvation. We're in Christ, but the battle remains. You know, there's, there's oftentimes in the war, the, it's, it's basically over. There's no way that the, the one particular side could win, but there's still battles. There's still pockets. Well, that's kind of what we're in. We're in that battle. The, the, the war is won by Christ. The battle rages on. Now, ironically, it's ironically good news. Um, if you're aware of the nature of the battle, you know, with sin, if you're aware of that, if you're engaged in that battle, there's, there's, there's that blessing. There's a little light in there, even though it's a, it's a difficult thing. We don't, we wish we weren't living that way, that we could be, faithful every single time to Christ. But if you're engaged in the battle, if you're engaged in the fight, if you're not just given over to sin, then surely you are converted. You know what it means to be in Christ Jesus because this is the believer's battle. This is the believer's battle. If you're not a believer, you're not going to fight sin in this way. It's not going to be like this. We love God and we hate sin. And even though we sin, we hate it. So there's a little 
good news in that way. The bad news is, obviously, when we do sin, as Christians especially, it carries consequences. It just does. It has repercussions. Oftentimes, we do a lot of damage to our personal walk with Christ and distance ourselves from Him. We damage our witness through our sin, and we damage relationships. Those are the consequences of sin. This is why we want to be more and more like Christ. So in this section, Paul is describing, he is describing our struggle with sin, verses 14 through 20. And I love it because it is so vivid. It is so emotional. Paul is just like struggling with it and he's bringing that forth. And there's just a, a real, I don't even want to say vulnerability with him, but just an intensity to him. And he's saying, look, this is, I'm doing this and I don't want to do this and I hate this and yet I keep doing it. Why am I doing this? So it's a very real intense, intense struggling and perplexing at times. You know, why do we do this? We don't want to, and yet here's what we do. So it is the the struggle of of every believer. Verses 14 through 17, he states it once, and then 18 through 20, he kind of, slight differences, but he basically just doubling down on what he said. That's how important it is for us, because we need to be encouraged to know that we're in this battle. The victory is won in Christ, but we do have work to do in our sanctification to be more like Christ. So verse 14 He says this, let's look, we'll just walk through the passage. For we know that the law is spiritual, that it's good, but I am of the flesh and sold under sin. So the idea there when he's talking about that, um, it's, it's even though we're redeemed, even though we're in Christ, we know that the law is good. It's from God. As Christians, we love the law. We're not opposed to it in that way. And still, there's something in us luring us, tempting us, enticing us, moving us to rebel, to transgress, to cross that line, and to sin. Paul calls it the flesh. In other places, it's called indwelling sin. It's the old man. It's referred to in in different ways, but that's the idea that there's that, that battle that rages within us between the righteousness of Christ and who we are in Christ and then the temptations that we still face and we battle that. Each and every one of us do that every moment of every day if you actually think about it. And that's what Paul is talking about here. There's nothing good in the flesh that dwells. We know that, right? And you understand that. If, if When you're caught up in sin as a Christian, and this is one of Satan's devices, and this is where he loves to put us because if you're caught up in sin, as a Christian in your life, well, what's that mean? It means you're, you're not profitable for the kingdom at all in any way because when we're in that sin, the attention is no longer on Christ, is it? Where's the attention? It's on you. It is on you instead of Christ. It's on yourself. As you pursue that sin, it's on you. As you nurse that sin, as you commit that sin, as you try to hide that sin, you're consumed by that sin. And what's that do? That puts distance between you and Jesus Christ. It's distracting from your witness. It renders you basically ineffective. You know if you've been in those seasons of sin, you're no good to the kingdom at all. You're not out there witnessing necessarily. You're not out there providing that light. and sh- You're kind of consumed with that sin and you're looking within and, and you're, you're trying to figure out how to do this or hide that. Right? And you're distanced from the Lord. You're probably not in the Word of God much. You're probably not on your knees that much when you're in those seasons of sin. And that is Satan's delight. And that is Satan's devices, no doubt about it, to get us distracted in that way. The reality is that we are saved 
but not fully sanctified so the struggle does ensue. Understand that. And Paul gives the proof of that struggle as he moves on. Verses 15 and 16, he says this, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good. Again, there it is. Because, and this is what's so perplexing for us, isn't it? Doesn't it just confuse you? Doesn't it make you angry? Doesn't it just, why am I doing this? I don't want to do this, but I'm being dragged to... It's because we know, we know in our minds and in our hearts that we don't approve of that. Whatever that's in, we don't approve it. We know that it's sin and we know that it's wrong and we know that it's going against God's will for our life. We're no longer darken in our understanding, right? Like like before, like Ephesians 4.18 says this, they are darkened, speaking of unbelievers, they're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardness of their hearts. So there's that, that makeup before Christ. That's where we were in that darkness. We know we're sinning. We're still accountable, but that's way under there. So we have a wonderful way, especially before Christ, of um, suppressing that sin. We're fully aware as Christians, though, and we hate it because it's contrary, like I just said, it's contrary to, to God's holiness, isn't it? It's constant, contrary to his righteousness. It's inconsistent with who we are in Christ. First Corinthians 6, after Paul lists a, a litany of sins, he says, such were some of you, but you're washed, you're sanctified. That's who we are. You understand? That's who we are in Christ. In Christ's eyes, that's who and what we are. We are justified. Notice the tenses. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So we want to live for him. Right? Before conversion, you would have little or no problem committing such sins. We just didn't, did we? Sometime a little bit of guilt, but we we were very good at rationalizing our sins, explaining them away, turning them into virtues even, glorifying in our sins. And that's what's happening today. We see it in our world all around us. That's what people are doing. They're just glorying in their shame. They're glorifying in their sins, and they're shaking their fists at God. And all of us have been there. Now, there are people just proud. They're just proud when they're able to rob widows and rip off elderly people. They laugh at that. They're, they're making those phone calls trying to get you to give everything you have to them. They have no qualms in their hearts and minds. They'll rationalize that. They'll just say, that's, hey, man, that's, that's what we do. And they'll, they'll laugh at that when they do those things, right? You know that. We justify the slander of other people, the lies that we tell. Well, that's just what they deserve. So we would just do that. That was a matter of course for us in our life before Jesus Christ. So that's one thing. And I don't want to say you can kind of understand it. Sin is still sin. But from that perspective, that's what we did. We justified, we rationalized, we minimized, we gloried in our sin. We didn't see it as sin. It's everybody does it anyway. But that's not who you are in Christ. That's not who we are. As believers, we agree with God. We love his law. We agree that his law is good and our intentions are to walk in obedience. That is the intent of our hearts, not to sin. And yet, as Paul points out here, almost inexplicably, we go ahead and we give in and we do what we ought not do. Why do we do that? That's kind of Paul. Why am I doing this? I know this is, this is it. He, he, he's, 
struggling mightily, and he's bringing that forth with intensity. And I think we should be like that too. Why are we doing this? We know that it's wrong. We know that it's sinful. And yet, like, you know, just like sheep just following, we just go right headlong doing it. Well, he gets to the source of the problem in verse 17. What does he say? He says, so, because he knows the law is good. Um, Verse 16, now if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law, that it's good. Amen. So then he says, so now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Okay. What he's saying here is he gets to the source of the problem. It's not the law. The law is good. The law doesn't cause us to sin, but it, but it is that, that remaining sin that dwells in us. Paul points to that as the problem. He says, it's that, it's that, you know, that thing, because here we want to love and we want to obey. We want to be who we're called to be in Christ. And yet so often we fall short of that. We don't do that. Knowingly, we don't do that. What's the problem? What's the source of that? He says, it's not me because I love the law. I love the Lord, but it's a sin that dwells within me. That's the problem. And that word dwell, very strong, strong word. It means to occupy. It means to be in. It means to inhabit. It means to be you're an occupant or the occupant. You know, you're a city dweller. That means you live in the city. You're there all the time. That's where you are. So that word means to occupy, inhabit, to live. So it's occupants in a home. Now, what Paul's not saying here, and I want you to understand this and get this down. Paul's not making an excuse for sin. He is not denying personal responsibility for sin. He's not saying, you know, people say, oh, the devil made me do it. He's not saying that. He's not saying, oh, it's not me. I'm good. It's that sin in me. Don't blame me. Blame the sin. No, 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 no. That's not what he's doing. What he is doing, actually, is pointing out the nature of the battle within. That's what it is. It's the difference between regeneration and indwelling sin, you know, that that remaining sin that keeps coming at us and tempting us and and moving. Really, it's not even the the difference between, it's like the clash, you know, regeneration and indwelling sin that goes on in every single believer's heart, in every single believer's mind, right? You feel it, you know it every single day. So he goes on and he just reiterates as to like emphasize or just double down on the idea because people are kind of saying, what aren't we in Christ? What do you mean? This is he, he goes on in, in, in verse 18 and says this, again, reiterating, saying, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. Now that's good right there. If he stopped there, if Paul would have stopped and said nothing good dwells in me, then it would be more likely that it was a pre-conversion kind of account because there's no way that a true believer can say that there's nothing good that dwells in me because we know that the Holy Spirit dwells in us. We know that we have the Lord. We know that we struggle with sin. And what he's saying here is nothing good dwells in me. Then he qualifies it very quickly and he says, that is in my flesh. Amen. So he says, it's in my flesh. And so, so there's that, that aspect of the of that uh, part of us that still lures us and, and tempts us to, to sin. So he, he qualifies that, makes that distinction. And, and, and that flesh is that part that's still susceptible to sin. And it will be for the rest of our days. That, that part which we go to war with every single day as we look to Christ. This is the believer's battle. And this is what we're called to do. It wouldn't it be nice if we didn't have to sin anymore? I mean, if we didn't sin anymore, right? If we just lived faithfully and righteously unto the Lord. 
And that's not going to happen until he comes. But this is part of our cross. And this is part of the, the what, we, what we need to count the cost, right? And live in this way as faithful as we are able to by the power of the Spirit. So it's constant examination. It's constant fighting a sin. We'll talk more about that next time. But that's what he's leading to. So he goes on in verses 18 and 19. And he says, For I know nothing good dwells in me, that is, in the flesh, For I have the desire to do what is right. Of course, who doesn't as Christians? We have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. And again, that's that uh, goes back to the flesh, not the ability in his flesh. It's not that, again, he's as if an unbeliever doesn't have that ability to to trust and know the Lord. This is more um, going back to the idea, in my flesh, I don't have the ability to do it. In Christ, we are able to. So if... Jesus puts it this way in Matthew 26, 41. Do you remember when they were in the garden and he was going to pray? What did he tell his disciples to do? Stay awake and pray and, and be praying. For when he came back, what were they doing? Yeah, what did Jesus say eventually? Eventually he said, look, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And that's it. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Outwardly as well. They, they literally fell asleep. They didn't want to fall. They wanted to pray for the Lord. They loved him. But the flesh is weak. Right? And that's what's going on. That's, that's the, the distinction. We are willing. We truly want to. But at times, and far too often, we are simply overwhelmed, overtaken, and carried away by that desire to sin in our lives. The desire, but not the ability. That is not in our own strength. Because, you know, we are no match for Satan. No match in and of ourselves. If we're not looking to Christ at that moment of sin, if we don't take seriously the word of God that says, no temptation is overtaking you except that which is common to man, and he's provided a way of escape. If we're not in the Lord, if we try to fight it on our own, we're going to lose because we don't really want to fight it in part of our flesh. We don't really want to fight it, and we're no match for Satan. We're going to give in, and we're, we're going to be given over to that sin. We need to rely on Christ. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 35, we read this. Jesus said, You're going to go away, you're going to scatter, you're going to leave me. What did Peter say? Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. You think Peter was sincere? Yeah, he was extraordinarily sincere. Just as sincere as you would be. If you would say, Jesus, I will not deny you. I will not deny you. I will never, I will die for you. He fully meant what he said. And that's the spirit. But when the time came, at that very moment of testing, he sinned and he denied his Savior. Now he went out and he wept bitterly and that points to his repentance and then he was later restored. But no doubt he was experiencing what Paul's talking about here, right? I want to do that for for the I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. That's what I keep on doing. And that's the struggle, and that's the that's what's going on inside the believers. That's the, the weight that we need to carry in the battle that we need to be engaged in and fight. 
And by Christ's grace and mercy, we are able to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Again, more on that next time. You want to be humble as a Christian, right? You want to walk in humility, don't you? Don't you? Yeah, you do. You better say yes. Why? Because you know the grace that you've received from the Lord Jesus Christ. We're living in a world where everybody loves pride, and they're pride, proud of their sin. They're proud of this. They're proud of themselves. Everybody's proud. The Christian is called to be humble in every single way and, and rely on Christ. And we're humble because we know the grace that we've received in Christ. We know that. We know what we were before Christ and, and what we deserved and now who we are in Christ and what we've received. That is humbling in and of itself, isn't it? Doesn't that humble you, man, to know that you've been saved? A wretch like you has been redeemed in that way? Amen. Praise God. We want to be humble. Our identity is in Jesus Christ, so it doesn't matter what other people say about us. It doesn't matter what other people think about us if we're being faithful to Christ because our identity is in Jesus Christ. And that keeps us humble. That ought to keep us humble instead of like defending ourselves at all times and getting back. We, we, we want to be humble. We want to be humble because the scripture instructs us to be humble, right? Walk in all humility. In all humility, this is how we're to live our lives. Count others as more important than yourselves, so on and so forth. And yet, the moment that something happens and our pride is struck, when we don't get the when people don't take note of what we do, or we don't believe that we're getting our due, if they don't give you the respect that you think you've earned, if you feel disrespected or underappreciated, then all that humility, everything that we know, goes out the window, doesn't it? And then we start defending ourselves. We start demanding our rights, and we're going to make you pay for not respecting me. Is that who we are in Christ? Why do we do that? Why? There's that struggle with sin. We are redeemed and we want to walk in that way. And yet far too often, we just blow it. I remember when I was a new baby Christian, I was playing softball. And I've told this before, but there are enough of you here that haven't heard this one. Um, I was on a softball team. It was a rec softball team. And, and we started practicing in March, you know, when it's cold outside and then getting into April. And I was at every single practice and I was a good Christian and I was reading my Bible before practice and I was witnessing to the guys at practice and trying to walk in a humble manner, worthy of my calling, all that stuff. I was good. I was there, not complaining, nothing like that. And I played left field and that's what I could play. And I was good in left field. But about two days before the season started, they brought on a ringer. You know what a ringer is. That's just that guy who can hit the ball and it's just a pure athlete, right? So I look at the lineup. The day comes for game day. And of all places, left field. I'm not starting. I'm on the bench. After everything, I was so much, my humility, my joy out the window, all the Christianity that, that I was bringing forth. What I, I was brooding on the bench the entire game. You know, and just angry. After the game, I was talking to the players. Could you believe that, man? Could you? I went home that night as a Christian, humble Christian, and I wrote down all my arguments. I couldn't wait to call the manager, who, by the way, is my third cousin, and he should have let me play. You know, this is family relations, Carmen. Um, so I call him up and I say, you know, Carmen, I, I was at every practice, man. I was there. I, 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 you know. I'm, I'm good, and, and this guy comes along, and here's what he did. So I had my list, I had my arguments, and when I hung up the phone, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I made a fool of myself as a, on many levels, but especially as a Christian. 
who is supposed to be humble and take that with humility and with grace. There might have been another way to handle it graciously, I know, but nevertheless, I blew it. And I blew my, to this day, I'm embarrassed. And when I see some of those guys on the team, I still feel that twinge, right? Why? Why do we do this? Why did I do this? That's sin in us, right? You so badly want to be brave for Christ. You so badly, all of us want to be bold for Jesus Christ. We want to be courageous for him. We want to be willing to risk even close relationships for the cause of Christ, don't we? We risk our own reputation our jobs, even our safety. We want to be bold for Christ. I don't want to let Jesus down. I want to be a strong witness to him, no matter the cost to me. But as soon as we're confronted, as soon as you receive some pushback, even a little bit of pushback, you melt, you fearfully freeze, and you kind of keep your mouth shut, and, 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 and you're very, very quick to abandon your convictions to avoid difficult circumstances, to avoid difficult circumstances. Why do we do that? You know, well, yeah, I'm going to give in. Well, because it's my family. I'm going to give in because it's my job. I'm going to give in. And we, and we, we, we go back and say, why do we do that? Why didn't I speak to that person boldly? I had an opening. That person was saying something about God and I didn't open my mouth. Why? Because I was afraid. There goes that boldness for Christ. There goes that courage for Christ. One more. You truly want to be patient and kind. This is the battle within. This is what I'm not doing what I want to do. I'm doing the things I hate doing. Here's that, here's that struggle. I truly desire to be patient and kind. We're supposed to be patient and kind. Christ is patient and kind with us. We are called to be patient. Love is patient and love is kind. Right? This is what scripture says. And as Christians, we want to have that. We need to be that way because it emulates Christ because he is patient with us. But once things don't go your way or the way you think they should go or even the way that they should go, others don't meet your expectations, you seethe with anger. You get so angry with them and you just have a contempt for that person. And if you could strangle that person at that moment, you would. Vile things come out of your mouth as a Christian. Why? Because we're fighting this fight. Because we're in this battle. Because we're doing the things that we don't want. We do the very things that we hate. Verse 20 reminds us once again, this is a real battle. Now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. And there's the battle again. He reminds us of the nature of the battle. And here it is. Sin is always there. Always. Every moment. Every Genesis 4. And seven says this, if you do well, will it not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. It's contrary to you. It's crouching at the door. Here's the nature of our battle, guys, and you need to get this in your heart and in your mind. Every every situation, I have in my notes nearly every situation. I will say every situation, every circumstance, and there is some kind of temptation towards sin. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're alone, reading, watching, doing something. There's always going to be a temptation to sin. It never stops. Rust never sleeps. It just keeps going and going and going. It's ongoing all the time. It's, it's, it's the nature of the battle. 
It's the unwanted, unwelcomed guest that never leaves. How many of you have seen What About Bob? That's kind of what sins. It just doesn't leave. It's always there. It's always at your door. It's always tempting you. I know it was a little bit funny, but you know. Every situation. This is not funny, but that was a good, I think that, you know, that idea that's there all the time. It's relentless, it's persistent, and it's determined. Get that in your mind and get that in your heart. That's what's happening here as Paul's talking about it. Every situation, there's some kind of temptation towards sin. Conversations could very easily lead to provocation. An innocent conversation could end up being something more than that, depending on who you're talking to. Do I lie or do I tell the truth? Do I pay for it or I just take it? You know what? Sometimes the way people look or speak or their mannerisms makes you in your mind just want to strangle that person because just the way they look or speak. See, that is sin in us. That's how it works. It's relentless, and it doesn't stop. Do I turn that station, or do I keep on watching? You know, what do you do? The ongoing struggle is not not a stranger to us. That's Paul's talking about that here. It's a struggle for all Christians. It's part of our cross to bear in Christ, and we're called to be faithful in that. The Puritans were no stranger to this. I love the Puritans. People think, oh, they were so stuffy. And so the, they're, they're like Paul in, in bringing out these kinds of just from the depth and from the heart, and they speak to these issues. And they, and they speak to the reality, even of sin. I'm going to read to you. This is what I do in my devotions. It's Piercing Heaven, Prayers of the Puritans. Let me just read you an apt portion that, that speaks to what we're talking about today. And this is hundreds of years ago, so really nothing really changes. Listen to what he says. I pray that sin would no longer reign in my mortal body. I want nothing more to do with the throne of iniquity. Untie the chains, loosen the cuffs, and bring my soul out of prison. He goes on to say, It is true. My heart wars against you. It riots and rebels against you. But I do resign myself. But do I resign myself to it? Is it a pleasure to me? Am I at peace with it? No, hopefully is the answer. He goes on to say, Lord, you know I cannot rid myself of the iniquity in my heart. I cannot do the things that I would. He's echoing what we're talking about this morning. I cannot pray as I would. I cannot listen as I would, nor think, nor speak, nor live as I would. Wherever I go, sin goes with me. Where I stay, it stays. If I sit still, there it is with me. If I run from it, it follows me. I cannot rest. I cannot work. I cannot do anything. Sin is always hounding me. And yet, blessed be your name. This I do. I fight against it. I wrestle with it. Though it so often takes me down, I do not trust it. Though it flatters me, I do not love it. Though it feeds me. My heart is with you, Lord. I'm following after you. I groan and I struggle in pain, waiting for your redemption. Until I die, I will not give up. Save me, O Lord. Do not delay, my God. Amen. Praise God. You see that? That's the struggle. That's, that is exactly what's happening with us. So, it's not hopeless. Um, again, I, I could have made this one long sermon. It's going to be two shorter sermons. Um, in, in this way, 
But I wanted to focus in on this because this is the battle of the believer. And if you're not engaged in the battle, then you really need to examine yourself. If you've given yourself over to sin, then it's one of two things. You're either in a season of sin, just deep in it, and pray that the Lord will will bring you out of that, turn to him even now. Or if you're just comfortable with your sin, it's just a pattern of your life, you're just living that way, there's no real fighting it, it's kind of your friend, your comfort in that way, then you need to examine yourself in terms of your relationship to Christ. I don't care if you're here. I don't care if you come here every single week. If that's where you're at in your walk with the Lord or so-called walk, then you really need to examine yourself. So I do want to leave you with a little bit of hope because it's not hopeless. And again, next week as we finish up seven, get into a little bit of eight, you'll see that hopefully in a deeper way. But for now, I don't want to just leave you here. (laughs) There's a few things. Understand that the Christian life is a battle. It's It's going to be a battle. So don't get overly discouraged when we fall and when we sin, but become more determined to obey Jesus Christ because we do have victory in him. So understand that this is the nature of the Christian life. It doesn't change um, you're going to have seasons as you get go along in your Christian walk where, yes, I'm, I'm walking well, but just when you get there, you're going to go down again. And so understand that's the nature of the battle. Don't become overly discouraged, but look to Christ. Number two, remind yourself, constantly preach the gospel to yourself of who you are in Christ. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. You have been born again. You are regenerating Christ. You're not bound to sin. We've been talking about this in Romans. You're not a slave to sin in that way. So there is hope. Flee, resist, reject, do what you need to do not to sin. Fight that good fight to be the man that you're called to be, to be the woman that you're called to be for Jesus Christ, to be the Christian who we're called to be in this world. Avail yourself to the means of grace. This is number three. Avail yourselves to the means of grace. The word, sacrament, prayer, all of these things are important. Saturate yourself in the word. Be in the word. If you're just opening the word here on Sunday or you do your little, you know, I'm doing my 365 day devotion. Mm, you got to be in the word of God. The devotions are fine, but you got to be in the word of God and you have to be intently in the word of God. That's, that's a sword. That's what protects us from sin. You have to be in prayer. You have to be on your knees. You have to immerse yourself in prayer. Or, or, or you're susceptible, more susceptible to it. Choose obedience, number four, over feelings. We're living in a day and age where feelings are everything. This is how I feel. This is what my desire is. When it clashes with the objective truth of God, then you say no. You choose obedience, even if it's hard, even if it's denying yourself, even if you don't get that pleasure that you think you deserve. Say no if it's not in accord with God's word. So obedience over feelings, objective truth over worldly lies. The world is going to lie to you. We have the objective truth of God. You run to that. See, all these things are going to help you in this battle. They don't guarantee success as such, but they're going to strengthen you. And when you do sin, truly repent. And I mean that. I mean, truly repent. Don't you, oh, I'm sorry, God. Sometimes we just get into this pattern and say, we don't even repent. We don't even feel sorry for it, as it were. But you need to truly, truly repent. You need to feel that sin, the weight of that sin that the Lord puts on you, that you repent of that sin. And you truly, part of that repentance is, is, is 
turning away from it and turning to God, but also hating that. I'm not going to go there anymore. That's my intention. I'm not going there anymore. I see what it is. I see who I'm sinning against. So you confess that sin with your mouth. You confess it openly to the Lord and to whom you need to confess. And then there is contrition and sin. You're really sorry for it. Not just like, I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry it didn't work out. I am kind of sorry about everything, the mess that I made. But you're not really sorry that you sinned against Almighty God. And that's contrition. Lord, against you and you only have I sinned. And you feel the weight of that. And then be reconciled to God. Know that he's forgiven you. Don't wallow in your guilt. Oh, I'm so terrible. I'm so wrong. Wait a minute. You've been forgiven if you truly repent. Now you live for the Lord, to the glory of the Lord. Be reconciled to God. And lastly, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, not yourself. Don't do that. Don't keep your eyes on yourself. Love him more than you love yourself. Okay? All these things we've talked about play into that. But that's what... Don't... Think too highly of yourself and your needs and this and that and the other thing. Be working for Jesus Christ and for those he's put into your life. What can I do for Christ? How am I going to serve my wife? How am I going to serve my husband? How am I going to serve my my Christian brothers and sisters, my community? Get your eyes off of yourself for the most part. Do you know what I'm saying? Don't don't be just about me, about me. Again, because that takes you away from the Lord and puts all the intention on you. Keep your eyes fixed on Christ, not yourself. Live for him and not yourself. Trust him and not yourself. Don't trust yourself. Don't trust, oh, I'm okay with my, I could do this. Don't trust yourself. To be in certain situations, don't trust yourself. Don't trust the flesh. Because you will fall. Trust him. And finally, love him and not yourself. Love him and not yourself. Those are a few things to hopefully encourage you in this very difficult section, because the battle is real, the war rages on, the flesh and the spirit. So as as we move forward, we want to live for him. Now next week, this week we talked about describing, Paul describes our struggle with sin. Next week we're going to talk more as, as Paul explains, uh, showing us the, the nature of sin as he goes on, uh, talks about it as a law and so forth and then the victory that we have in Christ. So this is kind of part one of of part two.